What's up, everybody? Just want to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jungle Television. Jungle Television is creating gourmet art and streetwear drawn and screen printed by hand here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, this dude, Alex, is making some of my favorite art. And uh, I have a bunch of Jungle Television t-shirts. They are heavy in my rotation and just always blown away by the things that he is making. The Mushroom Hunter jackets are some of my favorites. Those are really dope. But yeah, if you need jackets, shirts, hats, just prints, very cool prints, um, hit this dude up. The Jungle Television link will be in the episode notes along with the Instagram tag. And if you use the code DCP at checkout, you'll get 20% off of your next order. So take advantage of that. Check out the uh, the Jungle Television Instagram, Cruise Alex's Designs. Um, they're very, very dope. And next level, appreciate his support and sponsorship of this thing. Let's start the episode. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. The best of 2020, a year in review, a bizarre, strange, and rather fucked up year that we have all experienced together is uh, finally coming to a close, and hopefully we are near the end of the, the COVID crisis that has changed everybody's shit. Some for the best, some for the worst. It's uh, it's been rough out there. It's been rough out there. It's been a wild one, but uh, like I said, I'm, I have hope that this is uh, that we're we're rounding the final corner of this thing, and hopefully, you know, this vaccine situation works out, and by summer 2021, we're all seeing music, we're all going doing the things that we want to go do. Um, it has been. It's been a trip because I've maintained my day job through this entire um, pandemic. So I would say that aside from a few things, not too much of my personal day to day has changed, which I'm I'm super grateful for to that. I've had a job to go to. But outside of that, I uh, I felt the need to figure out how to keep this podcast going and through this and I guess most of the time if uh my preference is always to have the opportunity to sit in a room with somebody to have these types of conversations I just think that uh they they feel better that way and uh you definitely don't face any of those technical challenges of a delay on zoom or having someone freeze up or (laughs) any any of that madness but luckily the last couple years I've started to talk to a lot of people that are not based out of Portland Oregon and have been doing 
a lot of these remote podcasts anyways leading up into this so i feel like that was super key in kind of preparing me into transitioning into this mode of of doing 90 percent of the uh the podcast for the year of 2020 remotely it's really challenged me to to try to figure out how to make this thing as engaging as ever with those those zoom type calls and uh you know, digging into the production and engineering end of the podcast more than I ever have this year. Usually I have a man mountaineer, Mike, who's who's based out of here in Portland, Oregon, and was with me from the beginning of this podcast, engineering those mountaineer studios sessions that are uh, all over the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel. If you're not uh, up on that, I would suggest checking that out. It features musicians and bands from all genres of music and some live shows that we filmed here in Portland, Oregon, as well as the studio sessions. But uh, yeah, I've taken over things a little bit more myself throughout the pandemic. Um, Mike still participated in in the the mixing and editing of probably 50% of the episodes. And the last half of this year, I've really been going heavy on it which has been cool and it's just given me a different attachment to really spend you know two to four hours digging into these episodes and and trying to find new ways to maybe feature music in them sometimes and and not sticking to this structure that I've kind of created and um, even featuring some new programming in the feed you know Uh, I think the the George Floyd shit and uh, the whole Black Lives Matter movement this year um, really brought out some emotions in my in myself and uh, got me super fired up and and inspired me to to try to feature some some voices on on this podcast and I did three volumes of no justice no peace and kind of diverted from from all the music stuff figured out a way to incorporate some of it and definitely spoke to a lot of black artists and and people of color within the uh the portland music community and uh got a chance to just kind of feature mostly their voices and their experiences of uh, being a POC or being a black American and, and what that, that day to day is. So super proud of, of that series and, and all the things I learned through that experiences. So those, those three volumes are still available in the feed. And then I've done 10 volumes, I believe now the 11th is on its way of I dig records, which is a podcast that my cousin and I started and we're just jumping into a couple records each each volume and one that we each pick and listening to them heavy and and then coming together to have a conversation almost like a book club and then talking about those records and and featuring a bunch of the tracks and pinpointing some uh some moments on the record and that has been Super fun, especially from the production standpoint, is probably the most exciting thing I think that I've been working on this year. And uh, yeah, man, if this if this year has taught me anything from a creative standpoint or what I'm doing with all this, 
is that I I just love <laughs> I just love doing the podcast thing and I don't know what the future of Dan Cable presents is as of now we're rolling we're still doing the thing every week it's been like 250 straight weeks or some crazy thing like that and um yeah just trying to figure out new ways to to make it better and and also keep it exciting for myself five years deep into this thing so really appreciate all the people that continue to to listen to this thing and if this is a podcast that you you learned about this year and you've kind of uh stuck around for more than one episode that's really fucking rad and means a lot it's uh it's very cool to know some folks are out there listening from week to week and uh definitely leave a review on itunes rate review subscribe it only takes a couple minutes and i know i talk about it every episode but it's just super important to the growth of this thing and trying to get it into those itunes charts just so more strangers find it and uh just uh it unbelievable way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing and uh just appreciate the fuck out of all the the folks that keep checking it out and uh gotta give a big thanks to all the artists and and people that joined me on the podcast this year and we're willing to, uh, you know, maybe jump on a Zoom hang or do one of these social distance outdoor hangs or, you know, however we had to do it, we made it happen. And uh, it's just cool that that people want to participate in having these conversations with me, too. I'm extremely grateful for it. And uh, there's really not one of them that I walk away with learning something about a new person or about myself I, I think and it continues to just like push me into some uncomfortable situations at times of being forced to you know sit down with a stranger for an hour or two hours even and and just developing some sort of uh connection and vibe with them so that is uh that's something that definitely keeps on giving and uh so I wanted to share some of my favorite moments and and episodes this year from 2020 and the and the best of 2020 is uh is what is in store for you this week on the podcast and it's going to be a mixture of of things definitely mixed up genre wise but it's uh I would say that luckily you know there was the first 3 months of the year where I wasn't doing everything remote so we got a lot of those and then we got some of the zoom hangs and uh, we're going to feature a lot of music from uh, the folks that are featured on this episode and pretty much going to roll in order with the exception of the end towards the end. I'll roll some things back and this is all very unnecessary that I'm explaining this, this part to you about how, um, how the episode will uh, proceed. But uh we're going to get into this thing. I want to kick off um, things with a jam and then we'll jump into a clip of episode 200, which was just kind of a special milestone for me. And uh, I wanted to have somebody on that I was familiar with 
and someone that we could just have a fun hang and maybe not just talk all music with and um so i had my buddy london van roy on he is uh goes by the name colt crimes as far as his solo stuff and he's also in one of my favorite local bands called small league sink ships just unreal band and uh been digging a lot of his solo stuff as well he played the last year's dan cable presents holidays party which that was another bummer this year of not not getting to do the fifth annual but we'll come back at it next year i'm sure the fifth annual 2021 dan cable presents holidays show but um i got to see london perform at that party last year and it was the first time i got to see the cult crime stuff done in a live setting it was i think it was the first time almost positive it was the first time he ever played live with this stuff and it was really impressive and i really dug the tune so i invited him to be the guest of episode 200 so we're going to uh we're going to kick it off with one of my favorite tracks from cult crimes which is called polar bear this is definitely a track that's been heavy in my rotation all year really dig this one and then we'll uh We'll jump right into a clip from our chat from episode 200. So uh, let's get into this thing, man. The best of episode. All the links will be in the episode notes for all the artists featured and uh, the track listing and whatnot. So so check that out. If you, if you dig what you hear from a particular artist, please give them a follow. All these people are, are featured on Spotify and iTunes, all the major streaming services, and it's it's super helpful for them. It's a free way to support if you give them a follow on those things. Um, you know, seeing those those numbers is a is a big deal to some people. So uh, if you can if you can help out in that way, that is really cool and uh, much appreciated. And here we go. I think this is episode two thirty six. Is that where we're at? Episode two thirty six, the best of twenty twenty, and kicking it off with uh, the jam from Cult Crimes. It's called Polar Bear. And it's on the Heavenly Mess EP. Let's do the damn thing. I'm fearing you say it's done. I, I, I miss it. You say it's done. Quit, 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 quit talking. I've known where you used to be. Well, it's been gone since again To this overgrown lobby See the key is there There's no key at all You just gotta turn the knob The door's been open all along So I push against your And let the light bleed through I watch everything come together As I become the glow And cause the rainbow Is a transparent window Vibrates till they become a solid Translate into a harmony 
I did plenty of stupid stuff back in the day. That is for sure. Did you ever fuck with Salvia? I did Salvia one time, and it was a nightmare, man. Like I always heard the stories, like don't, don't, uh, don't do Salvia, or you'll become the rug, or you'll become the wall. <laughs> and I always thought, like, this is the stupidest shit ever. What do you mean you'll become the rug? Like that's dumb. And it's so hard to explain. But the first time I smoked Salvia, I remember. Um, Everything started spinning like a wheel, and I knew like all of reality, the reality we exist in was in like this clock, and the clock was going really fast, and it kept spinning and spinning and spinning, and eventually I'd make my way out of the clock, and I was this road in my neighborhood as a child, and there was like... It's, Everybody with their childhood stories about <laughs> It's fucked up because... I'm I'm like in the roads on the block in my neighborhood like I lived in you know pretty ghetto area and so I'm in the street and I remember it's like me and all my friends but then their dads and families and other friends from like past lives and it's us linked up that make the road and I thought oh this is what I am like everything is alive I'm the street we all together make up the street and this is never going away like we are a fucking road now forever. This is, this is what you're yeah. like. Yeah, and it was pure panic. And it's funny because you like, everyone you watch too, you go into like a salvia trip and you're cracking up. You're like, this is hilarious. <laughs> oh, fuck. And you just get, everything gets real in the worst kind of way possible. And then before you know it, you're the street. And <laughs> you're the street forever. And I think a lot of people don't realize that on psychedelics, you know, people that haven't experienced psychedelics to that extent, to the people that have are going like, oh, yeah, when I do uh, psychedelics, you know, you go to this realm where like time doesn't exist anymore. It's like Dude. time's not a thing. And that's the most impossible thing to try to explain to someone who hasn't experienced that because then you was like, yeah, you were you were the road or you're a glass and orange juice or you're a wall, you're a couch. But what is that, you know? you know it's gonna end. Like, no. When you're there <laughs> experiencing, that shit is forever. Dude. 
I don't know. I've done a fair share of like pretty heavy mushroom trips now. Mm-hmm. But salvia was like one of the first things I ever messed with after. And it was like, I don't know, right after getting into like weed, which I kind of got into a little bit later in life. It wasn't until I was, I don't know, 22 or 23 that I started smoking a lot of weed. Mm. And then I <laughs> show up to this to this thing at the beach one day and my and the first thing this guy says to me when i meet him who's like a new part of this friend group is like hey man you ever done salvia <laughs> i was just like no i sure haven't <laughs> well and so i uh, tried salvia that night at the beach Ooh. And, um, so did the beach did being on the beach make it an easier experience or was it just as jolting all right well I think that we always maybe did like a very cool amount of it where for me personally, it never got real shitty. But that first night, so like the first thing this dude tells me is like, hey, man, you're going to sit down when you do this because you're going to lose all of your motor skills. (laughs) You're all fun. Which is a very like true statement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On Salvia. And that is like a very weird thing. Mm-hmm. that I have not experienced on anything else like that, where you just kind of lose your motor skills immediately. Immediately. Like, you it's melt. a very quick thing. Mm-hmm. It's in, like you inhale, and then you're in. Yep. Almost. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Oh, and, yeah. uh yeah, so I was just, like, sitting on the beach, and it just felt like I was sitting, like, in a wave of sand. Like, I had, like, just sitting there made me feel like I had carved out like a chair you almost. the sand. I guess I became you the sand. You were the sand, I guess man. I became the sand. So the issue was like, I had a pretty fine experience. It didn't really fuck me up. Like, I came out of it fine. Um, but fuck, man, I did it another time that night because now we go to a different location. My buddy James comes over, and I was like, James, you got to try this salvia. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... <laughs> I always think that that's, like, the funny thing about salvia is, like, the shitty thing about salvia is, like, you kind of have to do it to get somebody else to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even if you had a shitty experience, yeah, like, you're, like, you're well, still... I guess I'm going to have to yeah, do this again so I, can get, your buddy. so I can get Daryl to do yeah. it. You know, it's just... So, yeah, man, I I don't know. There was, like, a good month or two where, every, like, every weekend, it was just, like, messing around with a little salvia or trying oh, yeah. to get someone to do salvia. Well, it used to be legal in head shops, man. Yeah, like you just go while. and purchase Which it. Which is the craziest thing. I think the craziest thing for anything to be legal in a store, like you just go buy, and it would come in like packages of 10x, 20x, yeah. 100x, right. 200x, 200 episode, 200x. But yeah, you'd, <laughs> you'd end up getting this shit at a head shop and you'd be like blown out of your body and stuck in another dimension where it's weird that it was that many different levels of the shit like 5x okay i smoke this oh i feel silly i laugh everything's like you know a cosmic joke whatever 200x it's getting wild yeah i don't know if i ever had any 200x but Man, yeah, it's just such a weird thing. It's so funny. One night we sat out in a friend's backyard with maybe eight of us in a circle just taking turns. It's like, all right, pass the pass the piece. Mm-hmm. And now it's now it's Eric's turn. Yeah. And all of a sudden Eric is fucking sitting in a chair doing Santa Claus like 
<laughs> just like out of nowhere. What? You know, just like ridiculous <laughs> shit is happening. And yeah, dude. Oh my God. Yeah, the only thing, only other thing I've done, and it was funny. So one thing I've done before I ever touched Salvia was DMT, which is like 10 times. The way I compare it now that I've experienced both is where DMT is kind of a blast through that uh, reality, that this kind of weird in between stage of everything is just locked in and you're the joke and you're stuck in this thing. And what the fuck? You might see the light. Yeah. DMT kind of just like makes you shoot past all that shit and drop into some other reality. You didn't know was possible that when you come back to it, you're just going like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's not, no, that's not, that's not possible. That can't, then what is this? Yeah. Then what is this? That's <laughs> <a> weird. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking I, that so many times. It's like yeah. the the least riding a bike experience ever. It's like you keep doing it, and it's it's never something you could put into practice or you know. Okay, okay, I'll go into the I'll go into it this time, and I'll really let go. You know, it's just as overwhelming. It's just as. Um, exploratory on the self but then also kind of diving deep into a part you have never really dealt with before the same patterns in my nightmares wake up and hear the birds still screaming i was sleeping in the backyard waiting for you waiting for you i'm waiting for you couldn't tell what you were saying crumbled up your voice and played it that was Cult Crimes from episode 200. Getting wild, talking some psychedelics, talking some salvia. We talked some some music too. That was just a super fun hang. We got extra buttered, extra blasted, and and uh, just just had a hang. So check out the Cult Crimes music. He's put out quite a bit of stuff this year, and London's always doing some really dope visualist stuff as well. And uh, just a person I'm super stoked that I've crossed paths with and developed a friendship with the last couple of years here in Portland and um which brings us to episode 211 easily one of my favorites um this was with Isabeau Wayu Walker and Isabeau has become a great friend the last three four years I guess I met her at this open mic that I saw her play at um which must have been about four years ago or so. And uh, her her songs just blew me away. And she ended up coming into the studio when we were doing the, the studio sessions at Mountain Air and uh, threw down some of my, my favorite in-studio performances that we did. So definitely check those out on the YouTube channel. And uh, so this was the second time that I had her on the podcast as well which um, was really great just because we didn't have to do the introductory stuff and we kind of just got to, you know, pick up where we left off from our last chat and uh, catch up about where she's at with things and talk about the new EP that she was about to put out at that time, which is now available, one of my favorite releases of the year. Just so good and uh it's called better metric and she put out a vinyl for this as well so if you if you dig the tunes from this i would definitely 
encourage you to uh to maybe go try to pick up one of those isabel's always doing a bunch of stuff live streaming stuff that she's she's done during this quarantine and always finding creative ways to you know reach out to her her audience of people and and the community that she has uh has created on the internet as well as uh the folks here in portland that she's developed relationships with but uh She's just an incredible person, incredible songwriter, and uh, yeah, incredibly fortunate to to know her and had this opportunity to to talk to her. So this is the uh, the title track from that Better Metric EP and uh, some of our chat from episode two eleven.
watched people consume content is very much a um, they want to get to know the person so I will keep versions like I'll if I'm doing twice a week uh, releases of songs at the end of that recording I'll, I'll give a certain amount of time and I'll just take my best version but best doesn't mean it's gonna be everything all the bells and whistles and mixed perfectly just I want it to be pleasing but within the time frame so that I keep creating. The studio felt like a, like a labor of love. And it's not perfect. Nothing I'm, that helps me like actually create is when someone says it, takes that off the table. Because then I'll never release anything. If, I, if that's the standard perfection, I'm like, well, then hell. Yeah. Don't listen to me ever because I change everything every time I sing <laughs> the song. So <laughs> it's never going to be perfect. But it was like labored over. And given some more time and attention and let it brew a little bit and worked with Ryan Oxford. He's the guitarist from Ilobamba and he produces out of the Center for Light, Sound, and Color Therapy. I might have gotten those mixed up, the light and sound. But um, just honestly letting other people get their hands on the songs and uh, did the arrangements myself. But it's, but when the other when Ryan worked on it and with other uh, musicians worked on it, showing up with um, enough of an idea, but then kind of let giving them freedom to. I wanted that. I wanted people to add to it. Yeah. And there's some things that felt really particular that I didn't want to bend, like I had in the past, and it just never sounded like me. But once I reached that point where I'm assured that it's me that I'm hearing, then when like the percussion or bassist or guitar stuff came in, then I was feeling a lot more like, well, I want help stretching the song. Right. Because I want it to be something that I can't just come up with on my own because I'm starting to hit a rut because I've been with sitting with these songs for so long that when you're asking me what's there, I need like um what's the word for it? Like if like a someone who's I use this example so often and I should just Google this. <laughs> Uh, my sister did like a stone carving class and when they gave her this huge slab of rock and then she had to chip it away to she was going to do like a buffalo and I had never thought about how the approach to like whether you're like if you're building something or if you're a sculptor and you're adding clay to it that's one way but the like reductionist that might not be the term so Sorry, every... It's good with me. Okay, cool. <laughs> You'll get the point. But that uh, I have to see it all and then chip away at the stuff I don't want to get at it. So a lot of the time it was like, well, what are you thinking of? What are you hearing? And I had to learn how to be like, can we try this? And then we try it on and you're like, nope. And not being afraid to ask if you can try it, knowing that it might yes. not be the right thing. Yes. And, and I'm not great at that, but I was getting better at it. And I had some, I mean, Ryan... Ryan met me more than halfway. Like, if if no one was, if someone wasn't showing up, it was me and my nervousness, and even Luz as a friend coming in and just reminding me, like, you can ask Isabel for what you're saying. You can say, show me all these things, and it's okay to say, not that, not that, because I didn't want to be insulting. I didn't want to waste people's time. Yeah, you don't want somebody to do all that work. Oh and then my just gosh, be like, 
I don't, I don't think this is You're worth amazing, it. but that's not what I'm hearing for this. And then even just the practicality of time and money. Right. So even having to give myself those confines. So even when friends would be like, hear it all and then cut it, having to find that in between of, yes, I want to hear as much as I can, but I also can't pay everyone to give me their time and their skills for hours and days and days and not use it. Practical as well. Yeah. So at some point being like, yes, I commit to that. Let's build from there and yeah. go on. But just found a really good fit. Ryan created a cool yeah. space for you to do that. Yeah. Where I'm like, ah, oh, this is good. So you could actually enjoy it too and not yeah. just be yeah. a wreck while making it. Mm-hmm. Wreck that you're going to put all of this into these precious songs of yours and then walk away and be like, it sounds good, but it's not me. Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't even sound good. <laughs> or know. just not even get to enjoy the creative process mm-hmm. of making it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Ryan taught you something different about your tunes? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, I meant that. That sounds kind of callous the way I said it. There's just a... I can't think of anything specific. Yes to that. Even just in his process, it was affirming. No, it confirmed that it is a really important thing to find your fit in those spaces and that there are a lot of talented and skilled people in any field. Um, but when it comes to like the arts, someone's like style, so not the style of sound that he creates, but also, also his methods. Yeah, his approach. and Yeah, I felt like we were very much in sync there, where there are a lot of other people, and he would say this, that have maybe more time and experience in their belts or more gear, or whatever the case, but watching him work with my friends, watching him or work in our band, and then realizing that his process makes sense to me. And again, it made me feel less crazy. Like I feel like that connection when you're communicating with someone, they articulate something, you're like, yeah, exactly. So to, to watch his process and be like, that is how I create. And I think I can show up more confidently in that space and trust that if he goes, well, what about this? That it's going to be not just a, like a professional uh, suggestion, but it's also his his style is agreeable to me. I'm like, yes. His way of serving the song. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. I would imagine also just getting to build that rapport, touring around and stuff, and being mm-hmm. know that, knowing that you can be stuck in the same room together for six to eight hours in a session mm-hmm. is, was comforting as mm-hmm. well. I'm just weird, too, altogether. I'll be weird with anyone and go into situations where I just don't want to tax people too much. So it was a relief to know going in that there was enough of a friendship that my presence wasn't taxing to anyone or that my weirdness was already known. And I had fleshed a lot of things out in conversation on tour prior to even starting this like business transaction of sorts. Um, a lot of it, too, wanting to get to know his process as a sound engineer, producer, but also similar with my friendship with Luz and kind of in the same vein that we talked about earlier, I didn't want him to have to say yes to me because we were friends and bandmates. I wanted him to believe in it. And if he didn't, that's okay. I'd be a little embarrassed, (laughs) but I would rather that than persist and it be like a forced relationship where... Because I think that does make a difference, and not everyone gets to be picky because you have to make money and you need to survive. But between in ours, I was like, I'd prefer again to keep our friendship than you 
say yes because you're gonna see me a while on our band like tours and stuff like that but not really like if you hear the songs if you're not moved by them like oh my gosh let's not do this yeah like because then you're wasting both of your yeah i'm like oh my gosh and i've done that so i'm like let's just not do that yeah and i take friendship over that so it was a relief to have time to communicate that with him beforehand Always dig my chats with Isabel. She's so introspective and uh, just seems to walk through life with a lot of intent and uh, just always appreciate the the topics of discussion that I get into with her. So uh, check out the Better Metric EP and uh, give her a follow. And now we're going to slide into a piece of episode 213 which was with singer, songwriter, and musician Hank Compton, who was one of the strangers that I met this year. Hank is based out of Nashville, and uh, I just heard a clip for one of the the tracks. I think maybe it might have even been an Instagram ad that I had had come across and started digging into the tunes that he had available, and I was just way into them, just – a really great writer and killer voice on this dude. And, uh, I feel like by the end of, of this chat, Hank and I were just friends and that if I was ever in Nashville, I would definitely feel comfortable just hitting him up to see if we could connect for a hang for some coffee or a drink or whatever. And, uh, it's definitely been one of the joys of just spreading out, throughout this podcast and and talking to more folks from different parts of the country. Uh, last year I had this dude Lou who, who plays under the name Lonis out of Nashville. And he actually, him and Hank, um, write music and, and produce music together. And, and that was something I didn't even know when I first came across Hank. So it's, it's cool building these relationships out outside of the Pacific Northwest and, and not just in the United States, but, but outside, you know, I talked to this dude, 10 kills the pack out of Toronto this year and talking to people like Dan Englander from King underground records. And, and he's based out of London. And now I've developed a, a working relationship with him working for the label. So just really stoked about, uh, the relationships you know, it, it will just, oh, I think it just continues to come back to that doing this podcast is like the relationships that I've built through doing the podcast and uh, also just building this next level connection with the music when getting to uh, to speak to these people, not just about their music, but about their life and where they're at and I think that's always, always going to add to my listening experience 
after having those conversations. So this is episode 213 with Hank Compton, and this is us talking about his track Judge Me, which he's got a really great music video for. And uh, he put out this Loser EP this year. So uh, check it out if you dig the tunes here. Where did this uh, where this Judge Me tune come from? Like, what were you uh, going through when you were writing this jam? I was kind of trying to figure out. I didn't go to college. I went straight into music and just trying to figure out how to make that work. And I actually grew up probably about 10 miles south of Nashville in a town called Nolensville, which is where I spent the majority of my time. And it it's kind of just, you wouldn't expect it to be as close to Nashville as it is. It's just like any other small Southern town, you know? Yeah. And um, so I think I pull a lot of inspiration, especially with this last batch of songs, kind of just about, the feeling of growing up in an environment that you don't really feel necessarily like you fit in as a creative or that's kind of like, that's kind of awkward for people. It's, it's not normal. And I don't know, just like there's a lot of depth behind the story, but just kind of like always feeling like somebody had an eye on me or that like somebody was waiting for me to fuck up just cause I was kind of, I fit the type, you know? And um, so I think I just, I pull a lot of anger and like frustration. That's unnecessary just from that whole era of my life, especially like late middle school throughout high school, just kind of feeling like I was having to fend for myself or, or I couldn't explain myself, you know, when I wanted to. And I think that songs have a cool way of like letting us say things that we felt like we couldn't in the situation. So I think that's where that all stemmed from was just, I don't know, growing up and, and feeling like people were waiting on you to, to trip up or, you know, kind of always, you feel like you have a target on your back. So what are your, what are your feelings like going back to that area where you grew up now? Is it, I still like my best friend growing up, he still lives there and we still see each other pretty frequent. So it's, it's nice going back there now. Um, but it is a, it's a weird change. First off, the town itself has changed so much since the evolution of Nashville. So it is a lot different from what it was when I was growing up there, but it's not like bitter. I, I mean, I love all the people that I grew up with and I, like I said, I keep in touch with my closest friends from that era. But yeah, it's definitely weird. You know, I feel like yeah. I'm moving on in my life because I live in Nashville now, but I'm so close, you know, to like this whole <laughs> it's like my entire childhood, you know, so it's I, I always fight this feeling of like, am I getting away or like, you know, like am I am I just stuck in this cycle? Because it's you're in this you're seeing the same things, you know, you're seeing the same people and it's just hard to, I don't know. That's been a huge struggle just feeling like I'm progressing because I'm still in the same place, you know? Right. Well, hopefully you're far enough outside of it to, it seems like you've at least gained some perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Far away enough of it for that. But totally. 
Yeah, man. Like I grew up in Southern California. I live in Portland, Oregon now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, going home is strange, man. Totally. It's, uh, you know, going back to that place where like maybe I'm not super bitter towards anybody particularly that lives there, but there's definitely like a weird vibe to it. And uh, especially if you kind of always wanted to get out of it yeah, in some way, you know, and and feeling like you said, just people kind of looking at you waiting for you to fail yeah. you know and feeling like maybe taking just like a non-traditional path to what the suburbs usually produce exactly exactly so i feel you yeah it is it's a struggle dude it's weird i cuz i totally understand you know it's not like i get that that's not normal and so you know obviously people are going to kind of scratch their heads at it for me, I think I was just so, well, I was young and so I didn't know really how to, t- I, for me, it felt like I was wrong or something. You know, I think it took me a couple of years just to look back at it and realize that it wasn't, it wasn't me, you know? And I think it helps yeah. me have a better perspective on it. It's just kind of, that's just different for, you know, that kind of culture, I guess. For sure. Yeah. People get kind of wrapped up in thinking there's not a lot of security in it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Fearful for you. And they convey that in very weird ways, I think. Dude, <laughs> you're telling me it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It is actually crazy. Right on, man. Well, let's jump into judge me. Alrighty. This is the jam from Hank Copton. Down on my luck and I'm out of my 
Hank Compton, everybody, from Nashville, Tennessee. Check out Hank's tunes and uh, hit me with an email. Love to uh, develop a little bit more of interactions with the people listening to this podcast. It's dancablepresents at gmail.com. Send me whatever. If you want to send me some tunes from um, a band that you like, that you want to hear on the podcast, if you are an artist or a band and you want to be on the podcast and you want to send some tunes my way, do that. If you just want some unsolicited relationship advice or whatever advice that I have no business giving, I'm, I'm happy to do that too. You can, you can hit me with anything you want, um, but would be stoked to hear from some of the listeners of this podcast and, uh, this next clip that we're going to jump into is from, from Jacob Miller. He um, came on the podcast episode 216. This was one of the first ones that I got to do in person. We did it in Jacob's backyard. This really cool setup at the house that he lives at. And this was probably, yeah, this was the first one that I had done in person in probably a couple months, it feels like maybe at this point. And, uh, Jacob's, a, a Portland, Oregon based artist, really great singer songwriter. He, um, he made this pretty deep run on the voice. And, uh, we talked about that bizarre experience for him and, uh, just really cool to get to, to get to hear somebody that has gone through one of these these shows like that. I know I had Haley Johnson on a couple years ago. Haley also came back on this year, which was a great chat. But a couple years back, Haley came on for the first time and she had made a deep run on American Idol. And to talk to these people about what those experiences are actually like, because you're not seeing much on the actual show of the behind the scenes stuff and um, I think is is very cool to get to hear the first hand experience of somebody going through that. So we're gonna jump in to uh, a clip from episode 216 with Jacob Miller. And uh, before we get into that clip, this is a track, the first track off of his this new home record, which came out in 2019. Uh, I know Jacob just did a uh, a new crowdfunding for his new record to come out. So congratulations to him for uh, having that thing fully funded. seems like he's got a lot of people on board and in his corner that are stoked to hear more tunes from him. But uh, this is a track called Take Me Home, one of my favorite songs in the, the Jacob Miller catalog. Yeah. 
Tell me about this voice journey and how this came <laughs> to be, and and you end up making this this deep run and getting some TV time, and you yeah. fucking put out you you do this bitching Bob Dylan cover where you just fucking crush it. <laughs> oh, thanks. You man. got fucking Kelly Clarkson saying all kinds of goofy shit to you. <laughs> <laughs> Her reaction's the best, dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> It was weird. It was it was so po- honestly like s- very surprisingly positive. Um, I had never seen the show before, and I don't really. I don't mean to sound like a negative Nelly, but I generally don't like things like that. Same. Which is one of the first things I actually told the producers when they asked me about it. So, anyways, kind of to go back to the beginning, last summer I think it was like last I don't know June around this time maybe. I got an email and it was like, "Hey, we saw some videos of you online. Would we we'd love you to try out for The Voice?" Oh, damn, and you I got th- recruited. Yeah. And I thought I was spam, you know. And so, I don't even remember. I'm pretty sure I emailed them back and said no thanks or I just didn't respond at all. And then I received a second email like a week later and it was like, "Hey, this is a different person from production on The Voice. We saw your stuff. We'd like you to try out and I was like pretty hesitant and I talked to my buddy Charlie about it who's kind of like my confidant and my musical collaborator most of the time and he his position was just go just go for it you know like what do you really have to lose like why not why not give it a go and I was touring a lot because I was just about to release my record um and so I had a lot of like stuff on the books kind of leading up like a a west coast tour midwest I had just gotten back from Italy and I was going to go on a Europe thing in the fall and so I didn't think much of it. I went, I uh, I was playing a festival in Washington, Timber Festival that Artist Home does. And I remember I had to leave early so I could catch the audition on Sunday in Portland, which I almost didn't do. I was like, ah, oh, screw it. I'm not going to go. But yeah. luckily I did. So, so because you kind of got recruited more and asked to like come audition mm-hmm. did you still have to wait in some sort of fucking cattle call line with no, a bunch well, of people kind of so i ended up it was it was a timed audition so it was a set schedule instead of like open call so i went to the studio on the west side 
Um, I had never been there before, actually. And you go in and you're, you know, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, you'll be like in three people. You're going up kind of thing. You bring your guitar. So they had you sing to a track, play your instrument and sing to a song and then like some other BS. And so I went in and I remember they were so good. Like everyone was so good. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, this is so beyond. This is like, this is just not who I am at all. Like, like just their vocal capabilities or music um, musically or yeah i guess i feel like stemming back to like my own insecurities with my voice is like i'm not like a pop i'm not like uh like the runs you know like yeah, a mariah you're Carey not christina like, aguilera yeah I'm, I'm not a vocal acrobat i guess is the best way i could describe it and like my approach towards music is much more lyrically and emotionally based uh, and musically based than vocal performance which is what it's like the show is like super gregarious and like you know, lofty, right. amazing vocal runs, and that's like Flash City, and that's just not who I am at all. It's like the antithesis of who I am. So anyways, <laughs> I go to this audition, and I go in, and I play, like, they're like, play four, you know, three popular songs, and I played Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen, and then I played Graceline by Paul Simon, I played that on guitar, and then I played this old tune called Two Sleepy People, which is a jazz song from like the 20s, 30s by Hoagie Carmichael. Did they love that one? <laughs> she was like, what are you going to play next? I was like, I'm going to play Two Sleepy People by Hoagie Carmichael. And she's like, what? It and I found out it was uh, um, Michelle McNulty, who was the head of the casting agency for the whole show, which is pretty funny. So she like gave me this really weird look and she's like, all right. And then I played it. And the whole time she was on her computer and she was typing and like looking me up because she had a little profile in front of her of me. And then when I got done, she's like, all right, uh, what's this St. Mary's Gospel Choir song? And it was that video, actually. And I was like, oh, it's just an original song of mine. She's like, will you play it for me? Which I guess apparently they don't normally do. So that felt like a good sign. And I did the thing. I was very self-deprecating and like goofy, which I, you know, to break the ice. Just not I, taking it serious either. Yeah, that just you're going to really get this thing. Putting a lot of eggs in that basket. And so I got out and then afterwards they're like, all right, cool. We're going to have you do an interview. I was like, okay. They so want to see if you're TV material, I Jacob. Guess. So I guess some people, if they didn't like the performance, I didn't know this. They just were like, all right, cool. Thanks for coming in. And then if they had thought you could potentially be on the show, they had you do this interview. And so I finally get in the interview and uh, they're like, <laughs> this woman's like, all right, so who's your favorite coach? And I was just like, I've never seen the show in my life. Who are the coaches? <laughs> and like, yeah, she triviaed me. She triviaed my ass all about the show. And I didn't know anything. And it was just funny. It was pretty funny, actually. And we both laughed. She was really appreciative of my um, honesty and stuff. And it was just, yeah, it was positive. And I, I basically walked away. They gave me a piece, piece of paper with a bunch of like rules on it. And they were like, cool, if we're interested, we'll reach out in a month and let you know. Drove home, didn't think anything of it at all. Like a month passes, and I'm in. I had did my West Coast tour, released the record, was in the Midwest. I'd been in the Midwest for like two days. Was about to start my tour in like three or four days. Um, and it was like Minneapolis to Nashville and back, basically, just solo by myself. And I remember I was at the gas station with my buddy, or my brother-in-law Lucas, and and I got this call from LA. I was like, oh god, I bet this is the voice. I forgot <laughs> I did that. And I pick up, they're like, hey, Jacob, this is such and such with The Voice. Um, congrats. We're super interested in you, but we wanted to let you know that we never got your paperwork that you were supposed to fill out an application and do all this stuff. I was like, oh. And she's like, we really need that like as soon as possible. I was like, okay, I can do it this afternoon, I guess. So I go home. 
I do it. It was like a 25 page application. And on Jesus. one of the pages they say, cause you have to make like a artist profile. Cause they apparently 40,000 over 40,000 people audition each season. So I filled the artist profile and on one page it says list like 15 or 25 popular cover songs you do, which if you know anything about me, you know that I don't do a single popular cover song at all. So I wrote four obscure jazz covers and left the whole rest of the application blank. And I sent it in. <laughs> and the next day I get a call from someone on the production team and they're like, hey, congrats. We want to fly you out and have you do your executive callback for the show in front of the show's producers. And I, they're like, if you have two or three days, you know, we'd love to have you come out. And I told them, I'm really sorry, but I'm starting this tour in two days. I, I can't. I'm, I've got like, you know, 20 some dates booked or something. She's like, well, if you have a window of like three days and I had a window or two days and I had a window of three days in Minneapolis. And so I was like, well, I was going to go to a friend's cabin. We we're going to go fishing. I was like, well, OK, I can potentially cancel that. And if you can red eye me and make make sure I get back in time for my gig, I'll do it. And so they did. And I went and uh, they had me play in front of all the show's producers, like get in front of this, you know, the lights and the camera. And then like there's like 15 producers that run the show. Um, and they were all really super sweet. I was the second person to go out of anyone on the whole thing. So I was like, right at like eight in the morning, your voice sounds like crap. And, uh, I did it. And then that night they called us all into two separate rooms, the yes and the no room. And I had made like a couple friends just, you know, we drank together and hung out at the hotel just the last day. And they called us in the room and they're like, congratulations, thumbs up. You're going to be on the show. And everyone was freaking out and so stoked. And I remember just being like, fuck. <laughs> What the fuck? I viewed it as a two-day vacation in L.A. in the middle of my tour. It was like, oh, yeah, I'll meet a couple people, maybe make some, you know, musician connections and yeah, meet some musicians I could play with. So then I had to, like, cancel this Italy tour I had planned for October. But long story short, like, which I feel like it's getting on the long side, so oh, I apologize. No, I, I think that <laughs> this is – I think it's interesting because, uh, yeah, I'm also, like, kind of in that boat. This is, like, not a show that, like – does really anything for me and i think it's whether whatever side you fall on the, on that argument doesn't really matter because I, I think it's just interesting for people to get some perspective on on the inner workings of this thing yeah, like i talked it, to Haley johnson about her american idol experience oh yeah and, and that was really i don't interesting really know her me. experience with um that. But I think it's, yeah, I think it's interesting for people to get to hear, like, what the inner workings of, like, a situation is like this. And I think it's even more interesting for you being somebody that's just, like, so far I'm not away from taking this world. seriously. Yeah. Um, I kind of, like, told you to fuck off about your, like, <laughs> what songs I could play. It's like, you either want me to come do this or you don't. It was it was very much, like, if, if anything, especially walking into the situation, it was such an amazing practice for me to, like, to remain remain firm footed in my authenticity yeah because it was like you know basically they're hiring you to be a character on their show and they view you know as much trauma as humanly possible um and i lost my dad when i was five and i got divorced a couple years ago around the time that my band split up um and so those are like my two pivotal like emotional moments in my life and when they called me about the show they were like all right so what do you you know what do, what do you what do you want to talk about and blah 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 and i just told them straight up i was like i will never talk about these things if you ask me about them but and that's what they wanted and they were they of course they yeah, want to fucking course, like dial didn't. in some some emotional connection yeah, between your dad and, and, you know yeah. they, they want some weird stuff going on and i totally get it it's reality tv but i was very unforgiving in my like <laughs> in my just 
I guess, firm-footedness again. So when we got the yes, afterwards we had to take a psych evaluation and take this test. It's like all this. It's like a hundred million dollar machine. This show is insane. And uh, I went and talked to one of the producers of the show, and she's like, "So why do you want to be on the show?" And I was like, "Well, I don't really know if I even want to be actually." And we had a whole honest conversation, and she's like, "Well." you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on it? And I told her, I was like, I am an independent musician, songwriter, and I care about like integrity as an artist. And I was like, my morals as a songwriter are here. And I feel like everything that this show represents to me is like in the backyard, like just as far away from what I want to be doing as possible, as far as like that. But I also recognize it as a huge opportunity to, you know, expose my music to, or at least my voice to, you know, a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't hear it. So, um, you know, I'm I'm down to give it a shot, and and she was really appreciative of my of my honesty, and uh, I think they kind of didn't run into anyone else with that attitude and approach, and so they kind of embraced it almost, and they were very like, I made like some amazing friends on the production team too. Like when I left the show, the music department actually reached out and told me they're like, "Hey, we just wanted to let you know that the whole music department's bummed out that you're leaving because you had some of the most or- like original arrangements of your songs and stuff." So it was like, I walked in thinking it was gonna be soulless, super diva, you know, like the contestants would be really cut through. But really, man, like, it was like a summer camp. We played Settlers of Catan almost every night. And we would like secretly drink whiskey in our hotel rooms, and we had curfew. Were you not supposed to be drinking or yeah. anything? At, uh, t- during the blinds, so the first month we lived there, all of October. You're so, just living in this hotel. Yeah, and you're sequestered, so you can't leave either, like because they're legally responsible. We could like go to the mall, and they don't want you. Is that also part of you leaking what's going on? Yeah, you can't too? tell any anyone what you're doing either. So like, I had to do reroute all of these tours. So it was like. What was going to be like these little patches of downtime too really turned into any time I wasn't on the road, I went back to L.A. So it was like, I think I did a West Coast tour in June and July, and then in August I went to the Midwest, flew to L.A., went back, and then I think I went back to L.A. in October and then was in Europe for a month. And it just all like... It was amazing. Like it, it really, it couldn't have happened any better as far as like scheduling and synchronicity of all of like me being able to do all the tours and the show. Still, it was yeah. pretty clutch. And I'm sure you made those connections with those people because they saw that you were just being genuine in yourself, and you weren't there to put on some fucking dog and pony show. Totally, and you weren't going to be this person that like conformed to what they wanted. Yeah, and maybe even saw you as their own experiment of like hey let's see what we like what it's like if we have someone like this on the show and see how they fit in i'm sure that they've uh, you know had hard-headed people on the show before and it's not like i was difficult to work with i was just honest we're like with the wardrobe they have you try on like as many outfits and then you pick four and those get sent to the producers and whatever the producers four outfits that you approve and then whatever outfits you approve get sent to the producers and they pick what you wear for the show. So wild. It's crazy, man. And like, they give you all this stuff and it's literally a giant warehouse of, cl- of designer clothes. Like it's crazy. And I go in and like, I wore all my own clothes. Cause I just told them, I was like, I don't like any of this stuff. I want to wear my own things. And they were like, initially wardrobe was really like not hesitant, but I feel like uh, they weren't a huge fan of me. They're like, "What you you don't trust our style?" Yeah, kind <laughs> of, or just like, 
this guy is difficult or something. But honestly, by the second round, I had made it to the show. Like, we were all such good friends, and they were getting me, like, all this cool vintage stuff. And we just, like, you just create a rapport. And even though I think that the voice itself is, like, completely, like, a capitalistic machine, and I don't think that the network itself has a lot of, like, investment in the people that are on the show like it's cool that yeah you make a hundred thousand dollars and get a record contract if you win but there's no like follow-up like you're not part of some long-term family so i was really surprised at how much of a family unit in summer camp it was like just being there like we'd all go to restaurants and eat dinner together and like when when our little teams you know you'd go and do wardrobe all together and practice and like hey, like, I'm feeling weird about my song. Could you help me with my arrangement? And, you you know, you were working with, like, a hundred other musicians trying to kind of make it, I guess. Um, it was bizarre. <laughs> did you feel like it, it did a lot for your, your confidence to be able to perform under those kinds of pressures? Or did you not, like, what was your experience playing that, like, that blind audition? Are yeah. you Are you, like, pretty fucking nervous walking out on the stage? Or are you still kind of, like... Hey man, I'm just like I can't even believe I'm here. At a certain point, the like I don't give a shit attitude kind of starts taking the wheel at a certain point because I remember being like a couple weeks in right before the actual audition and just being like I really don't care what happens. Like I'm about to go on tour in Europe and I have all this stuff on the books and I'm by no means like killing it, but I'm confident with what I'm doing and I, you know, I didn't feel like I necessarily needed it. But then you prep so much with the show. Like you're, it's really is an investment of time. We live there all of October and all of January doing the show. And so you start to care, you know, a little bit, but I guess like I was really nervous because we were up at 3 AM the morning of our filming. And I don't think I performed until like four. So you're like standing for like 10 or 12 hours, like makeup and hair and then interviews and all this stuff. And just like, I just remember being, fatigued like exhausted just ready to get it over just like honestly annoyed that we hadn't because some people go first you know so they're like oh yeah you're done for the day that's awesome you're done now this person's got 10 more hours or whatever so that was frustrating but getting on the stage like they they have you do this thing where you stand by the doors then they're like all right like jump around and like pretend you have the jitters and they're gonna film it and add it as part of your thing like all of it is very or- orchestrated and stuff it's it's a formula they've been doing it for 10 years yeah and um obviously works yeah <laughs> yeah i guess and right when the doors opened just like this kind of wave of calm washed over me and i was just like all right i got this and it was kind of like autopilot but i was also the only person for the whole season that didn't have any accompaniment by the band so i was just me and my guitar Come gather round people wherever you're And admit that the waters around you have grown. Except it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, then you better start swimming to you. Even if you're not a fan of those types of shows, which they're really not my jam, I would highly encourage you to check out Jacob Miller's Bob Dylan cover. 
performance on The Voice. Just this dude just absolutely kills it. Whole lot of poise. Just unshaken by this crazy experience. So that was a lot of fun to get to to talk with Jacob. I had ran into him a handful of times in the last few years and uh, had wanting had been wanting to have him on the podcast for a while. So it was rad that we, we finally got to uh, hang out and, and chatted up about the tunes. So next on the list, episode 217 was with a band called High Pulp, um, which features my cousin Rob Bobby Grooves on drums. So that is my connection to this band. He is the, uh, the previously mentioned cousin that I do the I dig record series with. Um, I love the fuck out of this dude and he's always pushing me. I feel like in, uh, to, to really lean into the things I want to do with my life. And he's, He's a great person to watch do that, and his his approach I have learned a lot from, and his uh, his bandmates in High Pulp are a lot alike. Um, just a really inspiring group of people to be with, and and a group that I definitely consider to be family. And uh, this was the first band hang that we did over Zoom, so it was pretty wild. But I think that. Uh, we were we were able to pull it off, especially because I was talking to six of them. They're they're a very big band, funk fusion band, out of Seattle, Washington. They recently had a KEXP performance, which is super sick. So check out the high pulp KEXP performance. Um, and a reissue of their Bad Juice record came out this year on double vinyl, and that's looking really dope. So uh, this is me. Talking to the band, episode 217, uh, just us jumping in, talking about uh, their their dedication and, and uh, their process of, of always being interested in, in listening back to uh, their performances, whether live or in rehearsal. I, I did the first one at the Inscape building, the Inscape Arts Mash. Um and, you know, I would go to pretty much every High Pulp show because obviously, you know, my friends are making some of my favorite music that's out there. So I'm going to go to every show. And no offense to other sound engineers out there, but it never sounded how I wanted it, you know, because I, I, I knew where things should be. I knew how it sh- how it should feel. Um, and uh, the curse of being a sound engineer at a exactly. show. Like you never, you're, you're, you never appreciate a show the same. Exactly. Cause you're just fucking want to hear your mix. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so what is it, what has this experience been like for you to like get to work this closely with the band and like develop relationships with this outside of the, the friendships you already had going into it? It's been, it's been incredible. You know, the, the extended family is, is like, it's my extended family. You know, this is my social life too. It's high pulp and, and everything around that. And, you know, everybody is so, so good at what they do and, and such good people at heart that it, it, it makes it easy, um, you know, to be a, to be a part of this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the people, the people that I work with and every day, the people that they introduce me to, the people that I get to meet on, as a part of it 
everybody in music kind of at large really has been, you know, just some of some of the best people to the core that I've I've had the you know, the pleasure of, of getting to know. So Absolutely. it's been it's been a lovely, unique experience. Only doing sound really now for these guys. It's a dream, really. I mean, you wanna work with with artists that continually amaze you and uh that's what i get to do it's just it you know it's a dream come true and we just consider drew like a part of the band you know what i mean like drew comes to all of our rehearsals drew is on all of the chats all the calls all the everything you know um isn't there's no make like drew a co he's like really part of the band yeah he's, he's like, a co, really like he's equally in on yeah. the contracts and shit you know what i mean like we don't have him like contracted out. Like, yeah, it's like I'm just playing another know, instrument. We sign shit as a, as eight people. He has to take you the know? loss with us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, bro, he's taking the loss with us. <laughs> I'm in it to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, and the shit is also. I mean, like we all approach it like it's a full time yeah. job. You know, like there's demands, and it's one thing I really appreciate about the group is that. It's not fair weather work, you know what I mean? It's like you I don't I really believe that you can't just get shit done when you feel like getting shit done if you're trying to get what we're trying to get done, how we're trying to do it. Like there's a there's a fucking order of operations and there's things that need to get done in certain amounts of time and you know, like sometimes that means that you're not gonna be feeling inspired or you're just gonna wanna keep playing video games or whatever, but everybody has the ability to just like recognize that this is like a bigger thing than like how you're feeling in the moment and you got people that are relying on that and uh it's just part of sort of the culture of like the band that i think we've sort of organically developed is just like we're, we're trying to do this you know what i mean we're not just like trying to like you know mess around and like you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, we're having a great time, obviously, but it's like, I think part of having a great time is also like being able to see it grow and see things happen and start working with, with labels and start, you know, selling records and just seeing shit like actually start moving. And I, I, I think that that's because everybody, especially Drew, man, Drew's got a hella, hella workload. Yeah. Um, cause he's not just doing the pulp stuff, but he's doing like a lot of the whole collective stuff that we're doing. You know what I mean? Like, um so it's just uh i really appreciate that we got hard workers you know because that's that's the x factor you know i think hard work can like really take over for like a lot of whatever else you might be lacking yeah, you know what i mean yep bob would you say that separation is in the preparation <laughs> <laughs> i think that i would probably say separations in the preparation yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely Football. One of the things that I've appreciated and have been super inspired by from your band is uh, is often that the, the post-hang, an important thing to a lot of you is to listen back to the show that you played that night. And I've got to sit in on that a couple times. Um, can anybody speak to the importance of that or what you enjoy about uh, getting to listen like right away after playing? I think it's weird. It's like if you or if you've been a musician and like you haven't really listened to yourself. I think about it especially with vocals. Like if you like sing but you've never listened to yourself, like you sing live or whatever. You've never listened to like a recording with your voice, and then you go back and listen to it. The amount of stuff you learn uh, from just that listen back or whatever, and 
you're able to, like to listen critically is like huge it's like enormous it's not like any other practice you can do and so like for me it's like i'm listening to like me play a lick in and how locked in i i am or not with bob on the drums and i'm like oh shit like i thought i was so on in this spot but like i was ahead playing way ahead of him like the entire time why was i playing so fast i need to pay attention to that next time you just don't get that from practicing in person you can only get that from listening to it and be like oh shit like I was not doing what I thought I was doing, you know? So it's huge. Yeah. And we do like a lot of improvisation in our sets. And while you're doing that, you don't know what it's sounding yeah. like. I mean, I think in my opinion, like when things are going well, you're kind of like, you're not listening as a listener exactly, yeah. even though you are sort of like watching it happen. So like it can be cool a lot of times to, to hear it right after and be like, it, it might be nothing like what you thought, you know? <laughs> Um, and yeah, I think so much, cause so much of, especially like what I'm doing on the drums is there's like, there's things I'm, I know I need to hit, but then everything in between is just, you know, up to my discretion and certain, certain nights, if I'm feeling more spicy, I might play a certain way. And if I'm feeling different, I might feel play a different way and listening back helps me to inform because I can remember what my mindset was, you know what I mean, when I was in whatever tune or whatever part, and I can just be like, okay, like, this mindset is not serving me. Like, in this in this solo, of in the Nicola solo, if I'm being fucking extra and, you know, just making all this bullshit noise, it doesn't sound good, you know what I mean? And it's like, it might be fun, you know what I mean? Like, I'm in that moment when I was playing it, I'm like, oh, this is fun, this is fun, whatever. But then I listen back and I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't as enjoyable to listen to as it was last night when I was just sort of holding it down a little bit more and then just adding in a little little spice here and there. Um, or vice versa, you know what I mean? It's like if I'm taking a solo and it's like, okay, I can just feel that I'm not going for it. You know, but, but like Andy's saying, you can't really, you can't, there's too many things going on, I think, or I, we just all need to continue to, to develop probably both, you know, an ability to consume what you're doing live in the moment while also creating it, you know what I mean? And, um, but, but listening back to your shit is, is really the only way to fully remove all of the brain work that you have to do to be creating it in the first place. So then you can sort of try to just like objectively listen to it and just be like, well, this is what I did, you know what I mean? Um, and that's just what it is, you know what I mean? It's like, this is what I did. Do I like it or not? And it's like, and I think if you listen like that and you're like, you sort of remove the good or bad from liking it or not liking it, it's just sort of what happened. And then you can sort of move on to like, okay, well, it's not good or bad if I don't like it, but if I don't like it, I can change it, you know what I mean, next time. Because we have so many, we play a lot of shows um, or rehearsals. I mean, we rec we record rehearsals, you know, and we listen back to rehearsals sometimes. So, yeah. yeah, I tell my students a lot, like, you can play an exercise, like, twice, or you can play it once and listen back to it once. And I think you're going to get more out of playing it once and listening back to it once, even though inside of your head, it's like, I'm not practicing if I'm listening. And it's like, well then you need to change the way you listen. You know what I mean? Because listening is such a powerful thing and it's maybe more powerful than doing the thing twice. You know, you can, 
Because then you go do that third time, and I guarantee the third time after the second time you listened is going to be a lot stronger than if you just play the thing three times. It's a similar, mm-hmm. it's a similar concept to like watching your watching tape of sports, or you know, in this band we also watch our Rocket League replays right. <laughs> uh, if we have something <laughs> we need to. Oh, speak you're that speak deep for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll put the Rocket League gaming tags in the episode notes Hell if you yeah. want to yes. get fucked up yes. by Drew and Rocket League. <laughs> our, ro- our Rocket ID. No, but we do. We do. That track you are hearing right now is High Pulp's cover of the Pharaoh Sanders jam, Astral Traveling, which is featured on their most recent release, which was uh, Mutual Attraction Volume 1. It's a series of covers that they're doing. And uh, that and the previously released Bad Juice out on King Underground Records. And uh, check out that episode that I did with Dan Englander. Um, Really cool label out of london so uh if you dig what you hear you know definitely check out those that i dig record series that i do with my cousin and and check out all of the the high pull videos they've got a lot of video content up on the youtube so so click into that and uh all of the the high pulp side projects there's quite a few of them lots of music coming from this uh this collective of folks 218 is where we're Heading next, this is uh, my episode with some aliens this year and hanging out with Bryce and the Alien and great lyricist, great MC, um, always up to the challenge of jumping on these non-traditional beats that may not always have a firm pocket to slide into and also... um, the collective's producer alpha and i've gotten to know these dudes the last four or five years two of the nicest dudes that i have met since moving to portland oregon uh just always love burning one down with these guys getting super baked talking music talking creative process and uh we've created this tradition with the some aliens crew and they were on episode 18 when I got around episode 100, I ran into them at this this live show, Who's the Ross, here in Portland, Oregon. It used to be this late night talk show that happened once a week. And uh, we were both on it one night. And they said, yo, we got to be episode 118. And uh, they were. And we had that hang. And uh, when we got... When I got close to episode 200 or, or so, when I was, we were a few weeks out from 218, I uh, I connected with them and said, hey, we got to 
do our thing. We got episode 218 coming at you. And uh, so that's the thing. Every episode that ends in 18, it's uh, it's got to be a Some Aliens episode. And uh, this is the the backyard hang that I had with these dudes deep into the quarantine. Don't worry. We're getting extra buttered, but we all have our own joints. And uh, been really careful with that. The socially distanced hang, you know, everybody's got to have their own joint to burn down, not sharing or passing any of that right now. So uh, this is it. Alphas and just make stuff over there and just send it to myself or get some loops or something and bring it back over here and tweak them and things like that. But yeah, lately here I've been making stuff too. For sure. So Is that is that nice for you to like have that at your hands and kind of be like creating a beat with, what you're going to do over it vocally yeah. in mind yeah it's fun to explore because i because i i haven't i don't do it too often because a lot of times just getting stuff from other people but it's fun to have like my own little like self projects too um but i have a weird ear man i feel like i'm not like i feel like alpha man i feel like you like you're like a genius man with this shit like like it's just no way i can just do the type of shit he'd be thinking about but i like to just show people my own stuff too that i also enjoy uh, but yeah but when it comes to me man i'm gonna definitely give you a dirty record you know what i mean it's definitely gonna it's it's gonna just it's gonna sound vinyl-y crackly it's gonna i'm gonna really put my foot in it when i do i yeah. guess that's what i'm saying like i'm i don't do it too often but when i do i really dig into I, it yeah i really show you what I'm about, you know what I mean? So. For sure. Stepping in some, some different worlds. Right. On Junethia, you're kind of on these tracks that are like three to four minutes, mm-hmm. a little bit longer than, you know, stuff from the past of like being more in that like one to two minute range. Right. So I was curious like what that, what was like for you to like have that amount of space to work with and like how you enjoyed that? It was dope. Um, I had actually flew back to Toledo what was that whatever year that you know 2019 I flew back and I spent time with the family and I went to my homie Emilio's house the same person I did Hail Mary with um and he had like a yeah I just got a new house and had you know a cool cool setup and stuff and I already had these songs I kind of been working on for 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 years um Janethia was actually supposed to be a, a longer project but it just I just feel like what I had and how I did it was just perfect as was. Because, like, you know, I had some of my homies on it and some of my heroes at the same time. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, had those, I had those on tuck, you know. I had those on tuck for a while, so I really got to sit on them and, and work on them and stuff. Um, you feel like you have a preference at this point, whether like for like a shorter or longer track or it's just like whatever, really? whatever it is. To be honest, a lot of the times uh, those beats are just how long they were when I got them a lot of the times. Like even like Green Goblin, like the Chuck English joint. Dude. It was only a minute, like it was only a minute and a half when I got it. Right. So I was like, I'm just, I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna make it the best fucking 90 seconds. 
I possibly can. That Green yeah, Goblin is. track is, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites on on that album, especially when it yeah. kind of like gets into that second movement, kind of has that easy E feel to right, it. Right, right. Like, that switch. <laughs> that switch, yeah, switch is, is The switch is super nasty. <laughs> yeah that song is really dope and I, 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 I like i like that you uh yeah, the way you set the stage for that record with uh, who who's that talking about you as a, a young dude just really taken to the to the Dr. Dre music? That was my brother Brandon. Okay, um, my brother's nine years older than me, uh, but I I just have a, a twin sister and then I have an older brother Brandon. Um, I also recorded those when I was back home. We had went to like a a little water park. He was like mentoring some kids and stuff, and he. Uh, I jumped in the car with him one day while I was there, and we all went to this water park. Yeah. And while, and while they were like playing and stuff, I had my iPad, and I just kind of told him like, "Yo, man, I'm working on this project. I'm calling Janithia. You know, Janithia is my mom's name. Okay. So I was like, you know, oh, like I'm making mom. this project, I'm calling it mom, yeah. blah blah blah. I was like, yo, just just say some some words or whatever. So we just got a couple little bits and pieces, and then I I just chose those parts for the project you know what i mean yeah so. yeah man that uh that was a cool way to do it and just like getting him getting to hear him talk about you, you yeah. just as like a young dude and him recognizing like yeah i was pretty sure you were probably gonna do something with music you seem to like click in with it <laughs> from a really yeah. young age dancing yeah, to it and man. whatnot i had no idea he was gonna say any of that stuff i was floored i was like damn bro you you really bringing me back Check out Some Aliens. They've put out a ridiculous amount of music the last couple years. Alpha's put out a bunch of beat tapes, and uh, Bryson has put out numerous projects. Junethia, one of the ones mentioned, I believe, in that portion of the chat, is uh, one of my favorite records that that he's ever put out. Um, just killing it with that one. So Some Aliens, check them out. And uh, now we're getting into episode 221, Duke the Genius. Uh, I met Duke a few years back through one of my favorite artists, Rashid Jamal out of Portland, who's a great rapper, crazy good lyricist. And uh, Duke is a, a close friend of his, and I used to see him featured a lot in Rashid's sets, or I would... Uh, he would have a feature on one of Rashid's uh, albums and got to know him through that. And just another one of these people who's just always been incredibly kind and, and welcoming and uh, got to hang out with Duke one afternoon in a park in Vancouver, Washington. And, 
and we had the opportunity to to chat about his self-titled record, his debut record, um, which he uh, put a lot of work into and put a lot of time into and was very patient with the the release of it and uh, not putting out anything into the world until he was really ready to do so and compelled to do so. And uh, this is one of my favorite rap records out of the um, the records that came out this year. Uh, just a, a level of vulnerability throughout the record that I admire quite a bit. So uh, this is episode 221 with Duke the Genius. He said he pulled, he pulled up the, the lyrics on. Me. I mean, just a, just a couple <laughs> references, but on on ventilation because yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get into this song oh, shortly. Yeah. This is probably one of the the heavier songs Shout on the record content my mom wise was on there if you heard the the the, the, the ad lib was my mom on hell there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the <laughs> family <laughs> is uh is present on the record yeah for sure <laughs> they yeah they showed up hell yeah um yeah there's the, there's the one that says uh been a man since i was 10 yeah uh so, talk to me about that line where that so, comes man, from what, what, where i was kind of coming from with that line it's like you know you see like a lot of the stuff happening man with just with our our youth you know what i mean and, and all this the, like the, the violence and stuff that happens with them you know what i mean like the, obviously the police brutality and stuff like that like at a certain point man you're not looked at as a kid you know what i mean i feel like especially with you know I mean being a, a black male man you're not looked at as a kid you're not looked at like like you're just able to just make mistakes and do whatever you want to do you know what i mean like if a 10 year old goes and you know what i'm saying or a kid goes and makes a major mistake he's looked at as an adult a lot of a lot of youth are being charged as adults yeah man you know the, the classic uh highlight story of that would be the central park five yeah central and, park and how five, they man. you know fuck those Rice. kids over and yeah that, that seems to just just continue to happen exactly so so i was kind of hitting on hitting on that aspect of it been a man since i was 10 no sense of justice appeared you know what i mean like nobody's looking at you at from the point of man this is a child they made a mistake you automatically a predator because of how you're being portrayed you know what i mean so that's that's the main thing that i was hitting at not necessarily so, so i try to go through that project that album or that song really was just like my view on me my mindset on how i was like attacking my new life and how I was transitioning to my new life upon on top of like just trying to create a narrative around what some of these people kind of may hear or listen to or what might be their environment while they're trying to discover and what might be the holdbacks you know what I'm saying that you know like you're not necessarily you know what I'm saying? The man that people portray you out to be. That, you know I mean, you could just be a child out here, but you know, we all make mistakes, you know? Yeah, it's uh. I think it's a it's a nice look in a nice yeah. you know lens into that sort of situation and hopefully an opportunity for people to like put themselves in different shoes and yeah. not just like be quick to just, just so judge. quick to judge about everything yeah. and uh yeah I think I think that it has uh been like such a huge part of what music has has done for me mm-hmm. it's like especially um Man, rap records. I was just talking to my cousin about this. Rap records specifically, I think like Good Kid, Mad City is probably like a really good example of like the skits that are in that record that tie everything together. It's like, this is like a look into, you know, a community like for me as a white person that like I have not like experienced something to that degree. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's such like all of these things are out here to like give us perspective. Right. And, right, you, you know, especially yeah. in those places that you know you can't 
experience yourself. Exactly. And that, and that was my hope on that on that song, man. That was my hope actually on, on kind of like the whole project was kind of give you a, a clearer picture about who I am. There's a lot of personal information in there. You know what I mean? And that's kind of been the thing that's been the major holdback about putting it out because it's so much personal stuff. And, and man, I'm, I'm real private, man. You know, and so to be able, but, but I feel like my uncle's always told me that, you know what I mean, the more personal you get with things, the more, the better that the music is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he's always told me that. Like, my uncle, he was kind of there for a lot of the early on stuff of us recording in his, in his basement and stuff like that, too. But, you know what I'm saying? And so he's another person that I go to where I play music for him, and he kind of gives me the input. But that was really my goal, man, was just to kind of give somebody a, a, a view of what day-to-day lifestyle is like what 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 a what a what a month like the album the name of the album went through multiple name changes you know i mean like we we took it went from uh i want to say a man's day was was supposed to be the scope of it you know what i'm saying where it was essentially you were supposed to look at the album like a day in the life you know what i'm saying until i think the other one was like from ground zero was the first name was the i think that was the original name of the project from ground zero you know what i'm saying and, and it's just developed but all of the names kind of exemplify just look taking a look into what's going on into the you know I mean just the, the lifestyle you know yeah but vulnerability is uh definitely something i fuck with heavy yeah, i mean for sure. yeah it's a it's a huge draw in some music and and definitely it seems like what what you did here it doesn't seem like you you held back too much nah. <laughs> nah not at all not at all i, I know i know zeb is finally happy because a lot of these songs he had on his hard drive for man three four years man like finally man he makes him get them out of here <laughs> like yeah let's get into ventilation this is, this is a this is a heavy one from duke to genius indeed get into it Ventilation. Uh, stay in 
your rear view, they see you moving. Slowly they own you, know they fear you. These cowards want you to move real quick so they can kill you. They got us playing defense in the game of offense. I try to do my best, not regress into a coffin. A catacombs might block with a scattered soul. Used to dribble around my foes and dunk on them, see that I'm cold. I learned my lessons, blessings I grab them by the skull until they get congestion. Pray that you hear the message, my pioneer suggestions. I circumvent when my lawyers pointed some shit. Change a revenue, true intent, think it's better views from a Benz. See the avenues from my lens. Five degrees from seeing the pen. Fight from being a man. Fighting to get a life. They keep pulling us in the sand. Damn. Need ventilation, the streets in me is waiting, the seat in me is changing, the funk in me just be a dope MC is what I'm facing, my peace in me is changing, not here to plead my case, just win a race among the races, no fear of shatter cadence, true gods is what I'm raising, bad odds is what I'm facing, like LeBron illuminating, thank God they got me fucked up, swear to God y'all got me fucked up, need ventilation. ventilation man that whole record is just such a cool look into someone's life just a real look in so check that one out uh rashid rashid jamal is also featured on that record a few times elevated heights one of my favorite tracks of the year that was featured on the uh the december monthly playlist the dan cable presents monthly playlist that i started last month or i guess this month we're still in december we're in the the ends of it so uh the goal and the plan is to put out a new playlist every first of the month and that elevated heights track is on there i'll put the spotify link in the episode notes so you can can follow up with that it's a music across all genres hopefully representing uh what I would consider to be me listening to everything from rap and hip hop to singer songwriter and jazz stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's all in there. Some electronic dancey stuff. It's, uh, it's a different vibe all over the place. So, so tune into that and look forward to, to more of those coming out on a monthly basis. Um, definitely got that. The January 1st one is, uh, is locked in and ready to, uh, ready to hit the interwebs and uh now we're gonna jump into my episode with jake silverman jake was the the first stand-up comedian that i've ever had on the podcast i grew up such a big stand-up comedy nerd and still love stand-up a majority of the podcasts that i listen to on a weekly basis are hosted by stand-ups they're uh Man, right up there with musicians for me. They're they're the most important voices to me, and I just always enjoy hearing uh, perspective and um, people that are unafraid to try to uh, to test the boundaries um, while trying to get a laugh. And that doesn't always go the right way, but it's uh, I think it's just like this incredible art form and and maybe one of the most difficult ones to do just being up there just you and a mic so this is uh local portland oregon comedian jake silverman episode 227 do you feel pretty comfortable from the get-go of just like 
expressing yourself on stage is that something you had ever done in any form before no jumping on the mic no not at all yeah i was not like a theater kid uh i had super like i had like when i was playing i played basketball in high school and i had terrible anxiety when i was on the court and like still to this day have you know (laughs) anxiety but uh no anything stage art that kind of performance art was totally foreign to me um and yeah it took me a while to get even like good with just being in front of people to that to a level where i was like okay i'm gonna say some shit because it's like i mean you're just so much more naked up there than a musician because at least a musician has like an instrument to like fill the space with you know even if you're a guy with just an acoustic guitar like you still have something up there with you and when you're doing stand-up at first like i am naked up here and it's brute and i'm not funny either that's the thing is like i'm not good at this and i'm and everybody knows what i'm trying to be good at which i'm not doing right now like it's fucking terror i mean it sucks like you know it's great because you're addicted to it but you know there's so many times we're just like damn all right i bombed all night tonight i did three spots i ate shit on all three i hate myself and, you know, when I first started, it would last. If I bombed on Monday, I'd still be feeling it on a Thursday. I would just be like, oh, God, like that's I'm so, you know, now you bomb. I don't think about it. I literally am not thinking about it. even when I'm on stage. I'm like, eh, I'll get another set, you know, and what I, I've moved on. But and hopefully at least your uh, your friends in the room right. get good laughs out of, the, out of you if bombing. You're, <laughs> if you're ma- if you're making only the back of the room laugh, you know, the comics uh, are enjoying your fucking misery. And that's something, you know, so fuck it. Right. Yeah. Um, how how far in was it before you started getting some some laughs some consistent laughs that's a good question it's weird like you start you know obviously and and you know there are some people who do comedy for years who are totally delusional and they're they're clearly not making anybody laugh but for the most part you know you start to pick off all right i got this joke this joke seems to work um but i don't know like let's see i've been doing it for seven years i feel like three three and a half four years is when i started to kind of feel like a level of like comfort to be like okay like not like I'm great, but I can at least go. I don't feel like I'm flailing the whole time, you yeah. know. Like I don't feel like I'm just drowning. But and I'm sure this is true for any art. Like looking back, even three, two years ago, I'm just like, oh, thank God, I'm not doing that shit anymore. You know, like which is good. It's a good sign. But it is crazy that you know two years ago where I was, at, I was like, oh, okay, like I got this, and then I fast forward, I'm like, that sucked. Why would I want that? Like, that's not what I want to be. You know, you're always trying to like get better and hopefully you are looking at yourself and being like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy anymore. You know, I want to be something different. I want to be better. So it's definitely like an absolute process. No, like full, full on. You always recognize it as a process to like, okay, this set went this way. Hopefully the next set will go, you know, just to, turn up the laughter a hair and each time if you're doing that i think you're at least on the right track yeah i would imagine it'd be pretty rough too if you have this uh this string of like great sets yeah and then all the like you you start creating some sort of uh you know you're gaining some confidence but then then you start bombing again oh dude that must be rough it's up and down i mean it's like I think you want the overall line of the graph to be going up, but if you might if you zoom in on that graph, it's little ups and downs, you know? Like, you just want the trajectory to be going up. But if the line itself is, like, you know, one week you're on top of the world, the next week 
I mean, the only reason I started doing crowd work was like a couple years in. I just remember, I think I bombed for like a month straight. Like I just, anything I took on stage, I just, it just wasn't working. And I just eventually was like, you know what, dude, I can't do any worse than not bringing any material on stage. Like at this point, you know, fuck it. Like I've, none of the things I've written for a month have done anything. So why not just try not doing material and just talking to people? And that's when I started to like get that kind of muscle starting to work out. It was simply because I was doing so poorly that I was like, dude, what could happen? Like, what worse could happen? I mean, God, <laughs> I've been fucking bombing forever. Like, fuck it. So, you know, you just got to try new shit all the time. Yeah, I would imagine developing, like, that crowd-working muscle, too, is just, like, so helpful in, in the entire act at oh, all. Because yeah. there's always random shit that's going to happen. There's oh, always going to be the asshole that wants exactly. to talk during the show. Exactly. And decide that they... They're the show <laughs> yeah. now. Or, like, you know, even just responding to, like, not even a heckle, but just something that happens in the room. Someone breaks a drink or, or, or breaks a glass or, you know, something. There's all, I mean, that's what's cool about live comedy is that, like, the space itself is is part of the show. Like, whereas, you know, if you're a band on stage, like, unless, like, a, a fight breaks out and you actually notice it, like, you're never going to, you're not going to hear the chatter. You're not going to hear... Uh, the the drinks being clean you know you're not going to hear someone's weird laugh i mean dude that yeah. half of it is like someone has a weird laugh and you kind of have to address it because you're like dude if i don't <laughs> everybody in this room is thinking that this person has a weird fucking laugh so you got to be like yo you have a weird laugh i'm just gonna move on but like you you know it's all about like owning the space in entirety it's not just the stage it's like what is happening for these group of people which i'm a part of right now and that's you know that's who knows that that, that could take you anywhere <laughs> A lot of laughs with Jake in that uh, that episode, so definitely tune into that one. And uh, Jake Scott, his his crowd work album is on all of the streaming services. Check out that. He's also got uh, the full special is up on his YouTube channel in video form. And he also does this series called Jake on the Streets, which he covered so much shit during the pandemic, which is really cool. He, he covered all of the, uh, the Portland protests. I think he did two or three nights of that. He went to some crazy Proud Boy rallies. He went to uh, this wild Trump rally. This dude just doesn't give a fuck. He goes out and uh, gets these these interviews with people on the streets and super fun to watch. So so tune into all that. And also on uh, I want to mention my episode that I did with Nick Harris um, last month or so. Nick is the general manager of one of my favorite places here in Portland, Oregon. It's the helium comedy club. I've seen so many shows there. And, uh, so if you like my chat with Jake or you just want to hear about more about comedy, that was another episode where, where Nick and I geeked out about comedy a bit. And then just also talked about, uh, what it's like running, uh, a venue running one of the premier comedy clubs in the country. That was, that was an awesome one. So check out my episode, with Nick Harris, and uh, next on the list, we've got Sean Wollstenholme. Sean Wollstenholme is uh, this amazing guitar player and also a singer-songwriter, and this was a really special episode for me. It was episode 231, and I had been watching Sean play music since I was about 18 years old, so... I mean, for over 15 years, I've known who this dude was. And uh, 
he was part of this this time in music where there was all these crazy cattle calls and uh auditions for all of these these up and coming bands that labels were banking on writing big hits and uh, there was all this money in the industry we're talking early 2000s and Sean um went to music school cut his you know got his his chops in order became this unreal musician who could just sit in with anybody and ends up playing in a band called The Calling for a while where he met some of his his closest friends that he still plays music with today um and then he played in Lifehouse with his brother for a bit and then uh, when I really got to see him start playing a lot was with a band called Abandoned Pools who was an LA based band and then also with the band Radford who was this band that he played in with his buddy Johnny who he still plays music with today and uh I was talking with my buddy Ryan just a few months ago and the topic of some of these bands came up that we used to go see a lot and um I just kind of got interested in seeing maybe what Sean was up to these days and I kind of always knew him as the guitar player in bands never never fronting the band um every once in a while maybe he was throwing down a, a backup vocal but didn't really realize that he had a, a singing voice of his own and I was super stoked to find that he had put out this solo record out in, tw- in 2017 and I really enjoyed the tunes on there just these raw stripped down um, vulnerable tunes and then this year he put out this princess princess project with that dude Johnny who I before mentioned and uh, which is a completely different vibe and uh, more more in the pop world these big synthy hooks and uh, just some some great songwriting and uh, I reached out to him and and he was totally down to chat and we we hung out and talked for a couple hours over Zoom and kind of reminisced about some of those uh, those bands he played in for a while. It was, it was just so interesting to get to hear a dude talk about coming up in that way. And he even says it during the conversation that that's probably maybe something that's never going to happen that way again. It was such a, a way of doing things for a while where these cattle call auditions would happen for these um, up and coming bands that in some cases hadn't really even proven themselves yet, but, but a label believed in uh, them becoming a hit machine and, and putting tons of money behind them before they were anything. So um, just a really interesting chat and then getting to hear about all that stuff, but then transitioning into where he's at now and finding his own voice and, and really leaning into his own songwriting was, was really exciting for me. And like I said, just a special conversation for me to, to see this dude play music for all these years and never have any interactions outside of saying hello and cool showman to, uh, to really get to sit down and connect with him was uh, a really, really cool experience. When the clock to 
Yeah, is that the first time you guys wrote any music since the Radford days? I, th- I th- you know, th- there was actually a lot after, like post Radford, after the band, Johnny would hire me to, to, to play on stuff. Like he was working as a professional songwriter, as a producer. So he was writing for other people and producing other people's uh, stuff. So I would just do session work for him and play on albums that he was producing. If he would have a songwriting session and they would need to produce it, I would go in and play guitar on it. Um, and that was a, a like a, a really good, comfortable environment with people I knew, but yet in 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 this the setting of a studio, which can be you know, a whole different ball game. Um, more pressure, a little bit more of a scientific environment. So, so getting to do sessions with him and kind of figure out studio sounds and, and, and being a bit of a session guitar player in a comfortable setting was really good. So I worked with him a lot on, on other things, um, uh, on new music of his, uh, music he wrote for other people and he always had a studio in LA set up that, that, that was always really dialed. And, uh, so that, that, that was a good time. And that's when I started getting hired, hired for more and more session work, doing studio work for people. What kind of sparked, uh, starting the princess princess deal with, with Johnny? I, I had, I had just gotten done with the kind of long process of finishing a shameful display putting it out, the sort of ups and downs of, of caring about something and have, <laughs> having nobody else really give a shit, you know, and like yeah. that whole that whole thing. Be, yeah. Being a creative person is, uh, yeah, I, I learned the, the heartbreak of it all and just in the, in the process of making it like, um, uh, wanting to sort of embrace like oh i just want to write some pop songs like i don't i don't want to think about it too much i don't want to check myself and try to make something more clever than it needs to be because i feel like i always had a tendency to if there was a, a like a straight ahead section if there was a very poppy verse then then the chorus would need to be kind of angular and weird because that there, there needed to be like that dichotomy and um when I started writing songs for the for the Princess Princess thing, I was just like, oh, just I'm just gonna, you know, just say fuck it and write, write just something that feels good. Um, you know, getting those feelings that I that I get when I listen to like you know Phil Collins or something like it, yeah, man, you start leaning into these fucking big drums and the fucking eighty synths. Lean and, uh, in, yeah, yeah. I I I love this Princess Princess shit. Man. Awesome. I, I've. I've been, it's been heavy in the rotation. That's it's amazing. It's like one of those things too, where I'll just kind of, I'll just let it keep playing. Like when it's over, I think that's the the nice thing about having the bookends like you have, you know, the beginning track totally. is this inner, this introduction track, this instrumental and like really creates the world that this project's going to live in. And then you do kind of the same, you give it that bookend with the the ending track that's awesome so it that's all cool. it all just kind of becomes a blur if you just like leave it on the uh you know the repeat right 
those 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 last in the first track just become a blur and then all of a sudden you're you're into float again right and uh yeah it was cool man i i i I dig your vocal delivery and it's cool to get to see it kind of like on shameful display and then see it in this completely different world with the princess princess stuff sure yeah well thank you i can feel it get get uh I feel like I started to figure out my my studio setup a little bit better. I feel like I I I started hearing things a little bit more accurately in here. Got my room a little more dialed. Figured out which mic worked with my voice better. Figured out, and and Johnny was a big part of figuring out like a vocal sound for that. Not just not just me singing like the shameful display thing, but actually. Uh, coming up with with kind of a signature vocal sound um and uh yeah i, I remember i i first sent uh it was float and so far that i sent to johnny because i was like man these are really poppy and and i like them i think i it's always hard to tell you know whether something's good or not but like when i i finish it and then i listen to it and it's like is this good I think this is good. Like, I think I feel this. Like, so I sent it to Johnny because Johnny has, you know, he just has a pop sensibility that it's just in his wheelhouse. And, uh, I, I don't know that I expected him to like the songs or be interested in them at all, given that he's, you know, an accomplished professional songwriter and artist, uh, still having some of that insecurity too, oh, sending completely. music to your friends where you just like respect the fuck out of them as songwriters. And yep. you're like, Ugh, I don't know if, if this is going to, you know, meet the bar. Cause he, yeah, I mean, he very well. And I think he would have been like, Oh no, dude, this is horrible. This is, hor- <laughs> this is shit. <laughs> that's my impression of Johnny. But, uh, that's, that's uh great. but he, he dug him. He was just like, dude, I want to like, like, let me, let me start building a track for these because I, I wrote them just on, on, it was just guitar and vocals. Um, and so the, the first two tunes kind of went that way. And then we, we would collaborate a little bit more on others. I would kind of send a guitar idea that he would manipulate. He would send me back a, a, a a synth bed to sing on and I would write lyrics and melodies and stuff. And that was really fun. And I love, like, I love coming up with hooks I love coming up with harmony parts like that stuff is just it's so fun. I, I just find yeah. it so fun. Like it's that entire project working on that album was there was in terms of creating the music. There was never second guessing. There was never we never sent anything to the other person that we didn't like and just go with. That is Float that you're hearing off the Princess Princess record from Sean Wollstone Hume and uh, Johnny Radford. So check out the Princess Princess stuff and check out Sean's solo record, A Shameful Display. Um, two very different projects. So if you uh, if you dig that guy's voice, then you can kind of hear it in uh, two very different soundscapes. Stoked to uh, 
to keep up with Sean in the future and, and see what he keeps working on. Um, on that episode I did with him, we, we played a track at the end of the episode that isn't released yet, which I uh, dug quite a bit. So I'm excited to, to hear what the, the next solo record sounds like. All right, as uh, talked about in the beginning of the episode, this is the uh, the part where I'm going to jump us back to episode 203, which uh, was a chat I had with uh, a couple of the people from Mike and the Moon Pies, which is this kick-ass country-western rock and roll band out of Texas. And I'd say that country music is... Uh, has the smallest representation in my record collection. I by no means don't like um, country music. I think that uh, I'm just discovering the things that I really dig. And while the stuff that maybe is in the the pop charts is is really not my jam, there's there's quite a bit that exists outside of that. And especially in other regions of the country. And I mean, I, I love some Sturgill. I love some Jason Isbell. Um, I love some Mandolin Orange. Maybe lies more in that, that Americana world. And uh, But been finding more of these, uh, these more independent, I guess, country rock and roll bands. And, and just seeing what monster players these bands are but Mike and the Moon Pies was a band that I got to interview last year at the 2019 Pickathon Music Festival which is um was one of my big bummers of the year I guess uh was was that weekend passing and knowing that there would be no Pickathon this thing that I've attended and and worked the last few years and is the thing I look forward to most in the year it's just this incredible music festival with uh, a bunch of different genres of music and it's only about 4,000 people so it's not insanely packed out and I've learned about some of my favorite bands through Pickathon um, and and hope to just continue to have more of the bands on that I have come across there but uh, Mike and the Moon Pies was one of the artists that really blew me away at last year's festival and uh just an incredible band and mike's songwriting is uh is top notch his lyrics are great um he's a killer player he's been doing it since he was a kid literally playing these texas bars since he was a kid and i just really connected and enjoyed uh, getting to hear some of the stories behind the band at pickathon and when they rolled through uh Portland back in February I got to sit down and hang out in in the green room before their show here in Portland with Adam Oder who's the the band's producer as well as Mike the the head of the band and uh, just talk about their dynamic a bit and uh, diving into the importance of uh, that producer role and and the connection that they made very quickly so this is episode 203 with Mike and the Moon Pies from Texas. <laughs> I don't know, man. Mike, I just think you're a you're a very good storyteller through your your lyrics, man. You oh, paint a, you paint a picture that is uh, pretty fucking cool. Oh, and thank you, man. It, it's uh, you know, it's always I guess the write what you know thing or whatever. But that's always like I always wanted to. 
I was never good at like necessarily using a lot of metaphors or anything. I kind of just straight up say the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I would. I think you know, it's just it's. I don't know. There's an art to both of those things. Yeah, sure. And obviously, there's an audience yeah, for man. both of those things. And uh, yeah, I think that just the way you deliver some things, like on on steak night, on that particular song, just the way you you talk about divorce, right, and like things of uh, seeing seeing your ex spouse in in your ch- your child or <laughs> yeah. something like that, like yeah. that's that's like super heavy shit. Yeah, and, but <laughs> that's yeah, that's just stuff that like I guess like somewhere in the back of my mind just stuck with me. You know, like when all that was going was happening. You know, it's like this is the things that I recognize as happening. Yeah, like I could see like even though I was that young, I could recognize something like that. Like my mom sees my dad and me. And yeah, because like, I was like, because I wanted to live with my dad because we just we just like partying (laughs) he was taking you to the bar to play guitar (laughs) so i think this is gonna work out fine (laughs) no that but i don't know that's just like something that like resonated heavy just the way you spoke about divorce in that song for some reason like for someone that you know a lot of people parents and like yeah Yeah. over half of us (laughs) do so like it's obviously like a very relatable thing but just the way you you broke it down and like weaved it into the story of like where you were staying at different houses and whatnot sure. and it was, <laughs> was just very, very cool. And uh, I think you explore a lot, a lot of different vibes with the cheap silver and solid country gold. There's, there's just like, there's some soul yeah. in there that, that gets explored. Definitely more of a self-reflective record than kind of looking at my past. It's kind of just like, like looking at me like in the past five to 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that something that, going along having a kid kind of kind of puts upon you a bit more yeah there was i mean you know like uh i'm not really living out the the things like you know my my father's past anymore now it's like i'm creating my own you know line and so it was kind of like looking at that and how i'm dealing with the recent like just having my son right before we made that record and writing that record at the same time so all that kind of just naturally happened to where it's like it was like uh, Steak Night or Mockingbird or any of that. They were kind of like letters to my dad, right? And now it's like a letter to my son kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Sturgill <laughs> did a record like that. Yeah. Right sure before did. his kid was born. Yeah. And, and that's like, <laughs> yeah. that's an also, I don't know. It gave, gave me that same vibe of like listening to Danger because I know sure. that's sure. about your son. So like listening to those lyrics, I'm like, oh, this is like... Like you were saying, it's just a letter to yeah. him and like for some <laughs> him, yeah. him to chew on in the future. Sure, like, course, oh, dad, dad was uh, trying to send me some messages. Yeah, yeah. this is what was happening you know? when, I <laughs> <laughs> when I was born. <laughs> when do you and Adam cross paths? How does how does this start happening? That um, we were gonna make a live at the Windstar record because uh, we were doing a residency there and doing like two or three night stands. So it was, we thought, okay, we can record this show and choose from some of the nights, you know, to do it. And we had called another guy, and he was na- available, so he called Adam. Yeah. And that was the first time we ever met, actually. Yeah. I mean, I had seen the band just, you know, in Austin. You're just one of those, oh, let's go drinking and see the Moon Pies. I never thought much about it, except they were a great country band. And, you know, I had engineered and produced a bunch of records, and, and, and some of the other artists that I worked with knew the guys and stuff like that, but it was never like... When, when my buddy Will called and said, dude, I can't do this, but can you go up to the Windstar this weekend? I was like, yeah, I'm actually available the entire time. And 
let's go up. I love the band, so this will be fun. And uh, we met outside the Windstar Casino. Yeah, loading. Like, loading in. That's when we shook hands for the first time, and I'm like, I'll be your engineer on this. <laughs> and I think by the end of that, by the time we recorded the first show and we're drinking at the bar that evening, and we had we did three nights, uh, I think Mike and I were already discussing what became Steak Night. Yeah. Like we immediately just hit it off and and we knew like I was a fan of the band and we just knew we could make a country record that, you know. Yeah, it became like uh, obvious that yeah. we were going to start working on a record like right after that. Yeah, I'd imagine like getting those three nights too. You really had some ideas after night three about like what what could what yeah happen. what the, what the next what what they're able to do and what the next thing was and 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 we've talked about it since then too. But it's like the the live record was Mike's way of showing the band that we can go in the studio even before I was involved. It was like him showing hey we can all go in the studio and make kind of a live feeling record. Like we can work out these parts and stuff like that and you know. People don't have to overthink anything. Let's just have some fun with it. And then then I think when I came along, it was just one of those just like, okay, we've got this magic circle of people and let's make a cool country record, which is all we were going for at the first. Yeah, you know. for sure. I mean, like, I, I, you know, I didn't have like these, you know, uh, this is going to be a breakout record kind of thing. It was just like, I just wanted to make that record. You know what I mean? It was just like all about making that particular album with these particular group of people. You know, and, and uh, we were listening. We were listening to a lot of Gary Stewart and Johnny Paycheck and yeah. stuff, you know. And it was just like, and all of it. I think as we were putting Steak Night together, because it would be like, Mike would play us a song, and then immediately all of us would be like, you know, maybe change. You know, I'd be like, change a chord here and do this and drop this and try this, and then all of us would sit in and start making those harmony licks. You know, Mike would kind of have a melody in his head. And then all of us would sit there and be like, okay, do this harmony and do this. And maybe this is an answer part. And, and then yeah. we just cut the song. Yeah, it was, it was, it was the first time that we, made, we made all like a record in that way and in so many ways. Because like I had never shown the band any of these songs before, like before we went into the studio. Like I had already just kind of pre-proed them at my house, recorded some demos and like came up with maybe some melody lines, maybe some guitar riffs that I thought would be cool. But nobody had heard that until we got into the studio. And then we sit in the kitchen and I would play that song. And then that was the first time for the band to ever hear it, the first time we'd ever done anything like that. Because we normally would go get a rehearsal space and rehearse all the songs. Yeah. So this was the first time with that. And then the first time to really have like a producer at the helm that was going to actually help us make those songs better. <laughs> and not, not keep their mouth shut and like yeah. really voice their opinions. Exactly, man. Was and that's when it became like, okay, this is the way we're going to do this from now on. Yeah, was it easy for you to see that right away? Was it easy to allow Adam to, yeah, letting, actually, I mean, like to let his voice be heard and like, whatnot? Like you said, dude, when when we were hanging out those three days at the Windstar, I think we both knew, like, okay, we can say whatever we want to say about music yeah. to each other, and it's it's gonna we're gonna be able to bounce the tennis ball back and forth. Man. Yeah, because it's never like that's one thing. I think what attracted me to to the band and Mike and not just his writing, but the ability to like. When it comes to the the parts and the music and stuff and even lyrics and everything, it's like there's no ego. Whatever's better is better. Like bounce it back and forth. Like you know, here's my idea, here's yours, and then create something cool. And you know, just whatever's gonna make the song the best. You know, and and really fun to play. You know, and and think about it. You know that 
who knows how many nights in a row we're gonna be playing this song for how many years and stuff it needs yeah. to be something that everybody is really proud of that was know? a big part of that record is like i wanted to make it where everybody enjoyed playing whatever they're doing so that was why it came more like like he was saying i was setting it up with the live record if those guys are going to get comfortable playing whatever that is going to naturally they're going to naturally play because you're going to be playing those songs every night it should be fun they're so going to be more excited about exactly it exactly right so the whole record was kind of geared towards that too yeah do you think also uh not kind of having those rehearsal oh yeah so with that also added to that of just kind of everybody course. capturing like stuff on the fly more and not yeah. overthinking things because at that time dude it was the most like band record we'd ever done like it wasn't just me like here's what we're gonna play here's you know what i mean uh it was just everybody came up with their own ideas and then we just yeah. fixed whatever we wanted to fix and so everybody was pretty happy with whatever came out on the other side yeah and uh that's the current lineup yep with, with the band right now we did have uh john carbone on keys uh back then and preston played bass on that record yeah preston was still playing bass okay yeah. and uh and and johnny is still even though he's not playing keys with us he's still part of the organization and yeah. stuff and so he just he went back home to some family on the east coast and everything yeah and and johnny was still part of uh cheap silver yeah too. he was he's on that record too yeah right on well let's uh let's jump into a jam yeah. um I was talking about your storytelling with Steak Night at the Prairie Rose, so we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, that jam right now. Yeah, let's hear it. No one anticipated that country western shift this deep into the episode, but uh, yeah, love that band. That Steak Night record is uh, is killer, and then uh, the Cheap Silver and Solid Gold hits, which is the most recent record, is uh, got these 
just beautiful orchestral arrangements on it and uh just really shows the dynamic and how um how talented i think this whole band is and then also just um the songwriting and and making all those things work and i think that's probably also where the that producer role is really important as well when you have that many things going on and trying to figure out how to make it all work and not necessarily using everything and and picking the right pieces so uh can't wait for mike and the moon pies to come back through their their live show is so lights out where you just know that every musician in the band is uh just killer and destroying and you you just have to be a good player to keep up with what is happening so if uh if country western is your thing and you don't know about Mike and the Moon Pies, um, hopefully I've introduced you to them in such a way that you want to check out more of their music. They put out this live record this year as well. And uh, we're going to ride out the uh, the episode with a clip from last week's episode. I have to include Soft Kill in the uh the best of and i went back and forth just because it was last week's episode and i could just tell you hey it's really important to me that you listen to the full soft kill episode but i figured i would just uh ride this one out last episode of the year out with uh with a clip from that conversation that i had with tobias last week this is another band that i met at pickathon in 2019 and their singer Tobias and I hit it off pretty quickly and last year I think last September I had him on the podcast for the first time and it was my favorite episode of all time we went super deep on drugs and addiction and this dude was just so vulnerable and uh candid with his experience of, of being a drug addict and, and recovery and uh, survivor's guilt and, and things of, of that nature and uh, was just a really important conversation to me. Uh, so if you if you never heard the first episode that I did with Tobias from Softkill, I think it's 181. Please check that out. But episode 235 was my follow-up with uh, Tobias. And we talked about the band's new record dead kids r.i.p city and one of my favorite records that came out this year it's my favorite soft kill album ever it um it's it's very next level and um i can't be more grateful for the the friendship uh the opportunity to develop some connection with this dude and and for him to be so uh open to talking to me about his band and his life and where this music comes from and how important it is for him to share that message is uh it's inspiring it's moving it's uh it's heavy as fuck and uh so i want to play it out with a clip from that as well as a uh a soft kill jam for y'all and uh it's a heavy one it's called i needed the pain and it's the last track off Dead Kids R.I.P. City. It's the first time Soft Kills put out a uh, a stripped down tune in this fashion, where it's mostly just Tobias and an acoustic guitar and 
heavy track for a heavy year, you know? And uh, I appreciate, again, people uh, checking this thing out, showing your support and your love for it. And for all the folks that have uh, chatted it up with me this year, can't thank you all enough. And I hope everybody is uh, finding ways to to stay sane out there. You're able to uh, still do some of the things that you really enjoy and are keeping you afloat, finding finding a little uh, joy in your day. I hope this has been something maybe you can disappear into for a couple hours or if you're doing it on a weekly basis appreciate you sending uh love and 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 good vibes your way and uh happy holidays happy new year and uh send me an email let me know what's happening and reach the fuck out if you need some help in your life you know if you just need to talk to somebody, you know, send it. Let's go. Let's do it. Here's to uh here's to a dope twenty twenty one. And this is the the final segment of the best of twenty twenty, episode two thirty five, a clip with uh Tobias Graves from Soft Kill. But yeah, that that the concept of standing in a room with somebody and we're both both still buried in the use of drugs. Um, the one-dimensional existence of that. We're getting ready to go to a show. We're still it's but there, it doesn't matter. It could we could be going to do anything. All that's really definitive about it is that shared suffering you know what i mean that those types of things like i can go to that moment i can go to all these i could probably read any line in here that i wrote and be like there's that just super transcendent exactly whereas like savior like there's no street corner from any of those songs it's just like fucking there's a lot of hospital walls just it's not even just hospital walls it's just like just fucking what's crazy if you've never like been addicted to heroin or meth or crack is that you're in a box mentally like you don't even see the surroundings and you don't see the view you know for your the, the entirety of that you have beautiful moments you have tragic moments i'm not taking away the life experience but like you ignore everything you're just staring into a needle or into a pipe and you are and that's the that's definitive of your existence you know, so that's why, like, when people are like, oh, he's a junkie, like, he did this to himself and this, because I, be- I believe that disease, this is a disease of addiction, wholeheartedly, but in the use of these things, I'm going, like, I, the reason I have empathy and that I always believe people can change is that there's having just that hyper-focus on this 
no matter what it is on this one dimensional little thing, it's not human existence, right? Like that's, yeah. there's life is supposed to be so much more varied. People go on hikes. They look at trees and <laughs> shit. So if you can imagine being able to ignore all of that and just be hyper-focused on this one thing that subsequently is destroying you, that's not somebody living and making decisions for themselves. Um, that's somebody buried in something completely different. Yeah, there's different. a different power over you at that, at Absolutely. that point, man. Um, but Dave, the king, and we were able to talk to him about all of this stuff, just like what each song was about. There's a lot of tears. I felt that he felt it. You know what I mean? He yeah, I mean, I, got, I feel like that's got to be an important part of that process is like when you are making such heavy-handed content, like there's so much memory and like these tunes that the, everybody on the project working on it understands the depth of it to a certain degree and especially the guy who is fucking creating the soundscape. 100%. And it, and it, was, it was another thing, like we were employing somebody to be the, to be the, the, the extra member to tell the story of a bunch of people because that's another thing about this record is Savior is about my experience. Whereas regardless of what's spoken first person in, on Dead Kids, there's maybe on I Needed the Pain in the second verse of Oil Burner. Those are the only times I'm talking about like my life. And I'm present in the other lyrics and I'm there for those things, but we're talking about people that that none of you guys are new or if you did you're not thinking of them on the level that felt sufficient enough for us to not scream their names you know what i mean yeah. we're like 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 maddie rue is remembered for his worst uh specific people are just remembered for their lowest points and for a long time i and still to this day i'm defined in specific people's eyes for like my worst mistakes right that's just life that's not what this record is supposed to be about. This record's supposed to be about acknowledging the beauty, even in the darkest moments of people who are just getting started and leaving what I consider to be like gifts for people like me to be inspired by, to grow from, to learn from. You know what I mean? Like these the artists in here a lot of them were artists you know that died but like a, these people were like it was like the rawest most intimate and beautiful moments moments i couldn't have shared in intimacy like nicole's probably the first person in my life i've been able to be that close to because she knows that same bottom you know what i'm saying yeah um that's really what it's about it's just about like it was like going to Dave, somebody that doesn't have that same direct experience and being like, hey, we're talking about some really fucked up shit, but we're celebrating the people that are buried in it. Yeah. You know, like it's a, it's a weird content, like weird premise to people that don't get that. Boots in the dirt. We were stalling for the bus to take us. Here's the coming clean 
Passing is crushing. 